Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. Is it normal to get nervous for oral skills class, to wake up on ear training class days and feel that same twisted up feeling in your stomach that you get on the morning of an audition? Maybe it's just me that got so freaked out about ear training, but then again, ear training at Juilliard with Mary Anthony Cox was not just any class. In her legendary 49-year tenure, Ms. Cox was known for being a devoted and absolutely terrific teacher, but demanding and extremely tough. For instance, one of the comments on her Rate My Professors profile reads, quote, Wow, a methodical pedagogue, a thoughtful performer, a terrifying authoritarian, and a genuinely compassionate person, I think. From the standard dictation and sight-singing exercises to a slew of other drills whose names I've long since forgotten, Ms. Cox's class injected a pretty intense dose of anxiety and panic into my weekly schedule. It often made me question why such a form of torture was part of the standard music curriculum. So why is ear training part of a musician's training anyway? What is it good for? A 2004 study of pianists provides some answers. 16 actively performing adult pianists, half of whom were currently music majors in university, were recruited for this study. Essentially, each pianist had to learn and perform four short two-bar excerpts using four different practice methods, a normal condition, a motor-only condition, an auditory-only condition, and a covert condition. In each practice condition, the pianists would get 10 practice trials with the music in front of them, and then the music would be taken away and they'd have to perform the passage four times from memory to see how accurately they could recall all the notes. In the normal condition, participants were simply told to perform the passage 10 times. In the motor-only condition, the participants were told that there would be no sound coming out of the keyboard when they pressed down the keys, so they'd have to just imagine what the piece would sound like in their head. In the auditory-only condition, they were asked to keep their hands and fingers completely still, but imagine what their finger movements would feel like as they listened to a recording of the passage through headphones. And in the covert condition, the pianists were asked to use both auditory and motor imagery to imagine what the passage would sound and feel like as if they were playing on a regular piano. 
After completing the four practice and performance blocks, the pianist's auditory and motor imagery abilities were also evaluated to see how effectively they could imagine sound and motor movements in their heads. So what did the researchers find? As you can probably guess, the pianists performed the best, that is, they played the most correct notes, after the normal practice session, where they had the benefit of both hearing the notes coming out of the piano and feeling the keys under their fingers. And they performed worst, that is, they played the most wrong notes, in the covert condition, where they had to imagine both the sound and the feeling of playing the instrument. Neither of these results are all that surprising, of course, but what is interesting is how the pianist's oral skills test scores were related to their learning. When the researchers analyzed the data by separating the pianists by oral skills scores, the top half averaging an 80% on their test and the bottom half averaging 46%, it became clear where the pianist's oral skills ability made a difference. In the normal and the auditory-only conditions, where the pianists did not have to imagine the sound of music, there was no significant difference in performance between the high and low oral skill ability pianists. But in the motor-only and covert conditions, where the pianists had to audiate or create the sound of the music in their head without the benefit of a recording or audible feedback from the piano, the pianists with more highly developed oral skills performed significantly better on the performance test. So what can we take away from all of this? Pianist Arthur Rubinstein once famously learned Franck's symphonic variations while riding on a train to his next concert by practicing the piece on his lap. In other words, the motor condition from this study. This represents a pretty extreme example of learning away from the instrument, and I don't imagine most of us will ever be in a situation where we have to learn anything up to a performance-ready level entirely in our heads. But it is encouraging to know that this type of imagery-based learning is possible, for your regular, average, non-Rubenstein musician too. Assuming, of course, that one's oral skills have been reasonably well-developed. So even if ear training is the bane of your existence, it's probably worth the time and effort to try to get as much out of it as you can. And perhaps the next time you find yourself on a plane or train with nothing to do, a ton of rep to learn, and an empty Netflix queue, maybe see what happens if you take out the score and try to learn a few lines or pages before you arrive at your destination. Then go home and physically play or sing through the bits that you worked on in your head and see how it feels. You might surprise yourself at how much progress you can actually make, even without your instrument. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog. You can also find a quick and dirty 30-second summary of the study on Instagram at bulletproofmusician. And if you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. Mm-hmm.